Hi, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How's your week going? It's going slowly. <laughs> it's been a very long week. Dan has been out of town this week. So, you know, you've had Darren out of town before. You know how it is. It just it, it goes by very slowly. Yeah. Shout out to all of the single moms out there who are doing this mom thing alone a lot because I know when our partners are gone and we're juggling a lot of different things, it's just exponentially harder. So big shout out to you ladies. Yeah. Not getting so much sleep this week. I'm going to have to start working on that. So... Yeah. So we are now about uh, three and a half weeks until Boston. And this is the time in our training when we both start to feel exhausted from all of the running, all of the things that go on around running and training. And we're almost there, but we're not quite there. And how are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. I think I told you last weekend I had a little weird thing, you know, we had talked about before you had had uh, some you know, pain and tightness on your right side. And then I thought it must have seeped into my head because <laughs> last weekend I was having some pain on my right side. I felt like it was maybe my piriformis. I couldn't tell, but it was so weird. It wasn't like, I don't know. It just was weird. It felt hitchy almost and just didn't feel right. And I started getting a little panicky and I, uh, Took a couple days easy, didn't really do much, and and then it's it's gone now. So, but I really feel like and talking to some other runners who are training for Boston or for spring marathons that are peaking right now, where we're at our highest mileage and really at the t- peak of of training, starting to feel little things pop up, and I think it's really important right now to listen to our bodies and not get so set on our training plans and our what we're supposed to be running uh, that we don't don't take the opportunity to pull back and listen to our bodies. And it's okay at this point, 90% of our training is, is done. And I think it's okay at this point to skip a run or make a run instead of running speed work or tempo, make it an easy run, cross train, do something, get some extra sleep. Uh, rather than I, I just told somebody the other day, one missed tempo run isn't going to change your results on marathon day, but one tempo run too many could set you back and could get you, injured or in suboptimal condition at that start line. So absolutely. Like we mentioned in our recording with Dan and Ken and part two is coming up next in the podcast. It's better to go into Boston or any marathon a little bit under trained than over trained. And this is a prime example as why as to why. Um, I know for me, I mentioned last week that I was having this weird sort of sensation on my right knee and I went and saw Rachel Miller at ProAction Physical Therapy. Um, during our session, she mentioned that my hip flexors were tight, which was causing my glute not to fire um, and trickling down the kinetic chain, causing my outer knee, which felt like a little weakness. So I've been trying to fire my glutes. And um, my right glute is dead because <laughs> I've been sitting in the car so much. So I've been doing all these exercises and I, it's, it's, I can just feel it not firing. And I need, I need that the for Boston. Yeah, yeah the I have a lazy ass. <laughs> So today, um, in addition to the strength training I usually do at Prime Fitness, Eric and Christy spent some time with me, and I felt like I was Working in. On your right yeah, <laughs> they worked on my butt, and Eric was like bending me in in such a way that he could get my hip flexor in a position where my glute was firing. I, we were joking; it was like birthing a baby. We all started clapping, we're like "Yay, it's working again!" So, anyway, I'm getting a massage next week. Um, by this woman named Carol 
Deneo, Deneo. Yeah. So I'm going to work with her on Monday and, and not as a recovery tool necessarily, but I need her to just, um, open some things up for me so that my, my butt is firing a little bit better. So that's just something I noticed. And I'm really grateful that I have all of these wonderful people in my world who are able to support both of us, um, in our running. And that was just a really great session today. I already feel better. Well, I think it's also a really great lesson to not ignore things as mileage is getting up. And a lot of us just push through or we think, oh, yeah. it's not that bad, but it be- can become something that's very minor right now that may take just a few days to of some recovery or a couple extra exercises could become something in a few weeks that sets you back, takes you out of the game for a couple of weeks. And that's leading up to race day. So that's a really good lesson to listen to your body and not ignore those red flag pains that start to pop up. Yes, definitely. We, we know when things aren't right. Like we <laughs> yeah. know when it's just soreness and fatigue and we know when it's something that's not not right. So super important to listen to your body. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yep. Absolutely. So what does the rest of your week look like? Um, well, tomorrow I have a medium long run, which I plan to do easy. And uh, it looks like it's going to pour. Yeah, what about the weather tomorrow? Because I was thinking of my long run tomorrow and now I'm – I think I'm going to do it in the rain tomorrow morning. I think I need one of those and just going to run it at an easy, yep, character building. And look, we talked about this since the beginning of doing this podcast that we both are dedicating some of our runs, which you have done really well, by the way, Lisa. You have definitely withstood a lot of tough conditions during this training cycle. I have as well, but I feel like I've opted for the treadmill a little bit more than than you would. And you you don't use the treadmill as much as I do. So yeah, tomorrow I'm going to suck it up, buttercup, and get out there with the MT group and run a medium long run. Um, and as long as everything's feeling great, I will do the full mileage. If not, I'll, I'll turn around and come back. And you'll do your long run on Saturday? Yes. Um, I will do my long run on Saturday. and Last long run. Last, long, longest long run. Yes. start taper. That's exciting. And Sunday, we have the MCRC Awards Banquet. I just want to mention and acknowledge <laughs> Julie being nominated again for Master's Runner of the Year. That's an award that our Montgomery County Roadrunners Club gives out annually. And uh, you can be nominated several times. Once you once you win, you can no longer be nominated, but uh, you can be, and, and, and truly in this case, being nominated is an honor because only two or three people get nominated and it really is the top runners from that category in the club. So I will say, and it's not cliche, that being, uh, being nominated really is an honor. And how many times have you been nominated now? <laughs> As open and masters, not always as masters. I think um, I've been nominated since 2011, so I'm the Susan Lucci of the Montgomery County Roadrunners Club. Proud of. So you've been nominated probably eight, maybe seven or eight yeah. more years. So. Not. So I think Susan. What it was it like 16 times? So I, I mean, you God forbid. <laughs> but so. I am so honored to be nominated, and um, I really appreciate anyone even thinking of me. So, and I'm always amazed by the caliber of runners in the, in the club and to just be associated with them is amazing. This sounds really cliche, but it's very, very true. So, um, yeah, so I have a basement filled with, um, nominating. So when you get nominated, they put up at the banquet, a, a picture and a list of your accomplishments for that year and everyone can peruse and browse them. And then you get to take that home at right. the end of the day. And so you have now decorated your basement. <laughs> I have eight so. pictures. From- yes. So my kids' friends, when they go in the basement, must think that Noah and Ella's mother is such an egomaniac, <laughs> like such a such narcissist. Such a nice, but they're so nice. They're nicely they done. They are Priscilla, nice. Priscilla, Priscilla Pr- Prunella 
from MCRC puts those together and works very hard on them. So, so sweet. They're, they're very beautiful. It's so, wonderful. So I'm so excited to get another to. picture. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone at the banquet. It'll be really nice. Yes. Yeah. So busy weekend. Ahead. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, I'm excited to hear listen to, let others listen to the second part of our podcast with Ken and Dan. Can We can call them Can. Can. <laughs> Ken, Ken and Dan, which we had a lot of great feedback from last week. People appreciated their insights into race prep and the weeks leading up to the race. And we had an opportunity to really break down the course itself and talk to them about the race course. And as runners who have run it, as many times as we have. Uh, and I was just saying to somebody too, that even though I've run it so many times, I always forget with, <laughs> I don't want people say, Oh, well, how was this, you know, Boston college? And I, where was Boston college? I I'm so focused on, on my pacing and my nutrition and making sure I don't trip looking in front of me, the road around the, the, the street that I don't ever really look at. I'm trying to remind myself to do that, but as many times as I've run it, it was helpful for me to hear, uh, Dan and Ken's tips on different portions of the race. So yeah, it was a great discussion, just like part one. And even though we are seasoned Boston marathoners, I still walked away from our discussion with a few new pieces of information. And uh, we just want to thank Dan and Ken for spending a couple hours with us um, in order to produce both parts of the podcast. And we really hope that everyone finds the tips very valuable. And if you have tips that we forgot, please um, email us at julianlisa at runfarthernfaster.com. And we want to thank those of you who left reviews for us last week after our plea. We are so grateful for the reviews on iTunes. It means the world to us. It helps others find our podcast. So please, please, um, if you haven't and you have a moment, please head on over to iTunes and give us a review if you're inclined. So, Lisa, I hope you have a great week. Thank you. I hope you have a great week. Thank you. Looking forward to see you on Sunday. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. So now we've got um, during the day all the things we've done, and now we're we're heading toward the evening. And uh, what time do you guys recommend for eating dinner the night before Boston? It's a little tricky because it's a ten o'clock race. I'm always an earlier the better kind of guy. I'd rather have that extra time to digest my food and and make sure that I'm in good shape. It's usually I'm a five thirty six o'clock type of uh, dinner person. Typically, you don't get fed till seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time you're done, you're getting back to your room. You can lay out your clothing, making sure you have everything in place, and to hopefully try to get lights out by ten thirty or eleven o'clock. At least yeah. that's the goal. Yeah, Boston's a late race, but it's an early morning, so you're right. still going to be up at you know five thirty or so, five o'clock. So. Yeah, as Dan said, you want to get to bed. As it's nice to be can. back in your room with your feet mm-hmm. up, feet up, getting your stuff TV. organized, yep. make sure everything's lined up, and just have that peace of mind that you're ready mm-hmm. for the next day. I like that. I, you know, I hate that feeling when you go to sleep and you just know you have this big <laughs> thing the next day. I, I, I wish I was a better sleeper the night before the race. I, I sleep always, like a baby. <laughs> I wish I had that. I, just I sleep pretty well. I wake up a couple times, like before the alarm goes up, I think to chat to say, oh, is it time yet? But I, yeah. I'm pretty good too. Oh, I, yeah. feel. I wish I were better at that. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's move on to the morning of the race. I think this is really critical. Um, Dan, why don't you talk about why you think it's important to take a certain bus and, and what your thoughts are about mm-hmm. race morning in Hopkinton? Sure. Before I do that, let me just mention one thing about the dinner the night before. Mm-hmm. That's another great time to not try things that you haven't done before. So if you're comfortable with pasta, that's I eat, Pasta with a red sauce, the same exact pasta and red sauce and water the night before. 
Um, I like to focus on that. And so if you're comfortable with something and you have bread and you eat a salad and it works for you, stick with it. Don't try anything crazy and new and rich the night before. It won't it won't end well the next day. So that one time I ate Indian food or the other time I had the big barbecue pizza before two races. Right. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Both came out fine. They won't. Oh, the, okay. the next morning, again, this is all about taking control. And I like to be in control. I am a big proponent of catching the first bus out of Hopkinton or sorry, out of Boston to, to head to Hopkinton. Um, some people think it's unnecessary, especially if you're in the second, third, or even the, now we have four waves. Is it four waves? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, some people think it's unnecessary to me. I'd rather get there early, stake out our place. We have a, you know, our running club typically likes to stake out a spot under a tent um, in the far reaches, which is closer to less traveled porta potties. Why don't you describe where we are? And that way anyone can find us. Sure, okay. right? We would love to. We are in the, as you enter Athletes Village, typically we were at the farthest white circus tent, um, which is really on the baseball field. Um, it's the farthest uh, tent away from the entrance to um, the the Athletes Village. We're usually on the north, or is it, I'm sorry, the sunrise, the east end of that tent, if I'm not mistaken, but it's uh, where the sun is coming up and uh, closest to the field area and people can find us because we're usually the biggest group that's there. We stake out a big spot. Um, again, the more people that bring, bring their little pieces of plastic, the better. Um, and then we have a kind of a safe spot so people can go to the bathrooms. They are always coming back and their, their stuff is there and safe. But I, I think getting those first buses out to me eliminates a layer of stress that isn't healthy if you for some reason you have a flat tire on a later bus um, and you're stressing about whether you're going to make it in time for the start it's just not worth it i'd rather get there early the bathrooms to have no lines you can rest on your on your uh mat mat or yeah however and get yourself situated and believe it or not the race time comes up quickly all of a sudden you're hanging out and you're doing your thing you're socializing we're taking pictures but all of a sudden they're calling for the first wave. And or you're getting back in the porta potty line because mm -hmm. the porta potty, you just get back in the porta potty exactly. line. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, the traffic gets worse. The, the later buses that leave sit in more traffic. And I remember one of the first years that I did it, our bus was just stuck in traffic. And I, I distinctly remember speaking of bathroom stops, somebody on the bath on the bus said, I have to go. And the bus driver opened the door to let them out on the side of the bus. People looking out and said, that's a good idea. Suddenly everybody from the bus was getting out, but we were stuck in that traffic and it was stressful to feel like when's the bus moving. So if you get on those early buses, no traffic, you just shoot straight into Hopkinton. Yeah. And one more thing we forgot is when finding a, our group, we always buy a balloon the mm -hmm. night before. Mm -hmm. So for those listening who aren't part of our group that have a separate group, it's great to do that. And then people yep. can find each other. Yeah. Look for a silver balloon uh, mm -hmm. tied to the edge of the, the tent. We'll try to do that again this year. Last year it was raining. We didn't do yeah. it. And for yeah. people dressed in really weird costumes. Yes. That's Tom usually. dresses. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think, I think one important point is when you get up that morning, stop drinking for a while. Um, because you are going to have a long bus ride and you want to try to avoid that as much Yeah, and as you can rehydrate there. Again, you can rehydrate. You've got plenty of time. People that know me know that I don't like to drink uh, more than two hours before the, the gun start. So, you know, 10, what are we at? 10, 10, 10 o'clock start? Mm -hmm. You know, you stop drinking at eight o'clock. You'll still be peeing up to mm -hmm. basically the start of your race. And that's why the Gatorade bottle and the, and the trash bag are a good trick for the start, at least for the guys. A little less of steam grate is a, or a grate is a better <laughs> trick for the girls. But uh, that, that will help you out um, so you're not stopping along the course and losing precious minutes. Um, They're also bad. We mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but 
don't forget there are bathrooms right by the start line. So porta potties. Porta potties. <laughs> um, so Dan, back to your point where you said yes. you like to stop drinking two hours before yes. the race. Um, when does everybody here eat their breakfast? Do you eat your breakfast when you get up in your hotel room? Do you eat your breakfast on the bus? What's everyone here do? Hotel room. Okay. I eat in the hotel room as well. And then you bring snacks with you for the rest of your time in yeah. Hopkinton. And, and Boston's pretty good about providing bananas and bagels. It's usually what coffee. they have. Yeah, coffee. Yeah. I think Cliff has had bars yeah, in the past. Like you can get. Yeah, there's some bars Gatorade sometimes yep. has the the Gatorade start. But if there's the something you like, bring it along and have it there for uh, race morning. How yeah. about you, Lisa? I make my oatmeal on the way out. Julie and I both typically have those uh, single serve bowl. Uh, Quaker portable Quaker mm-hmm. oatmeal. So I, first of all, make sure your hotel will have hot water and most of them do. Most of them are set up in the early mornings to serve the runners, but make sure you can get hot water. And I put that in and then I typically start eating it as I'm walking to meet, meet people. I bring it. I usually don't get it all the way to the buses with it and usually done with it by then, but I start with that and then bring, bring my snacks with me. And what, how much does everyone eat? Go through your breakfast. Um, Dan, you start. What do I, you have? Well, I, again, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I've had the same thing. I have a healthy-sized bowl. I don't know the exact measure, but a bowl of an oatmeal raisin mm-hmm. crisp cereal. It has raisins. It has um, oatmeal. Some people freak out to that because they think that's going to be a stomach problem. I put a banana on top of that, and I use 2% milk. Um, and that's that's about it. And I'll wash it down with a little Gatorade later after mm-hmm. I'm finished with it. But that's all I have, a little bit of Gatorade um, and that cereal with a banana. And then... I'll also complement that again with a bagel or um, a uh, banana, you know, in, in the interim period while I'm in Hopkinton. And then, you know, it, it, this is a separate strategy, but then I started eating one goo at the start line. I never used to do that, but I think right at the start line, right before the gun uh, and after the national anthem, I'll take one goo to kind of uh, prime my system. And, and then that's it. And um, how about you, Ken? What do you have? Very similar. Um, some cereal, pumpkin flax, and uh, usually banana. And then once we get up to Hopkinton, I've been trying to usually shovel down a, a bagel. I'm usually not that hungry, nerves, and you've eaten mm-hmm. and stuff, but making sure you're getting that last little bit of nutrition because it might have been two and a half, three hours since you last ate when, when the gun goes off. How so. about you guys? I start out, like Lisa mentioned, with um, oatmeal. I look carefully at the oatmeal, and we try to buy the Quaker oatmeal that has um, 60 grams of carbs. So it's all about that. And then I bring with me, um, and again, I'm used to this, dates, um, big medjool dates. They have a lot of carbs, and they're very portable. So I have about four of those in Hopkinton um, after I finish my oatmeal on my way to the bus. And I have usually a half a banana as well. It's about all I can stomach after the dates. And a bagel. How about you, Lisa? Yep, I do similar. I start out with the oatmeal, and I usually go down to it's usually like a Starbucks or something in the hotel where I get uh, some brown sugar to put on top of it too to get that little extra mm-hmm. carbs. And I have that, and I then have I usually bring a Cliff Bar with me that I'm snacking on in the bus. And then when we get there, I also grab a bagel. I probably won't eat the whole bagel, but I'll yeah have a few pieces of a bagel. And, and that's usually enough. And what I started doing last year, especially, but I think I'd done it the year before too, was have some, I do honey stinger chews, but I've started having some right at the start too, at the start line, just taking a few, I feel like it's like a little head start. And mm-hmm. last year I did it because I didn't want to have to start getting my nutrition. I actually took my bag out so mm-hmm. I could run with it and not have to worry about fidgeting with my cold hands. Um, yeah. So when I did that, I took a few and figured, let me get them in while I can. So. Well, now is a good time to tell you, I'm actually... Um, I'm a honey stinger ambassador, but I'm actually, um, 
I use honey stingers in my training, but I'm breaking up with honey stingers for my racing. And here's why is because when I race, I've been using goo. Um, I've been finding lately that it's getting to my system a little better. It's not causing my blood sugar to fluctuate as much as it used to. Um, so for training, I use honey stinger um, have you gummies. Used, but what, so when have you been trying the goo um, to make sure it agrees with your stomach? Because that I, was my always yeah. issue with the goo was the GI issues. So any race I have, I use goo. So I did fine. the Miami half. I did the rest in 10. Um, any races I did over the fall, I've used goo. And um, might be easier. You know, I found last year, especially I couldn't manage the. That's what happened. And yeah. keeping the honey stingers in my bra last year during 2018, I was just over it. And I had a little meltdown and Ken loaned me or gave me his goo and it worked so much better for my system. So I'm going to use that this year. And um, we'll get to our nutrition during the race. Do you have in a, a flavor moment. preference? For um, okay, so I was really excited about this. I bought the twentieth um, edition birthday cake, oh, so wow. it's going to be a party. Oh, that sounds and good. Actually, I used to love the chocolate. That's what I used because it tastes like chocolate frosting. So I'll buy one caffeinated one. Otherwise, I'll just and I take my nutrition as I know Lisa does. Um, generally, with the honey stingers, I just take a few every mm-hmm. fifteen minutes or so, um, which adds up to about taking. Um, 100 calories worth or uh what is it uh, 60, 60 grams, grams of carbs, carbs every 35 minutes so i'm going to take one goo every 35 minutes um so, how about you what do you I, do, during I do your every race? i do them every 30 minutes and some people gag mm-hmm. thinking how many goos mm-hmm. i'm having every 30 minutes but i'll do that all the way up until the basically the three i'm typically a 330 to 340 mm-hmm. marathoner and i'll do it all the way up until about the three hour mark. And if I can stomach one more at three fifteen, I'll do it. Then if I, if it's, if it's beyond that, um, how do you carry all of your goose? I still have, they're not race ready brand, but I still have the shorts with the pockets. Mm -hmm. They're hard to find nowadays and I need a new pair. So if somebody has those, uh, let me know where I can get them. You want some used ones? (laughs) No, no, but um, so I I stuff those pretty um, well all the way around. And they stay up. Hey, Lululemon for men, listen up. You need to make some some shorts with pockets for racing. But I I use those Mm -hmm. and then we're lucky because they're usually a couple places um, along the race sometimes around mile 20 where they'll hand out and I'll grab those and carry them in my hand. Usually I'll, uh, and I can stomach, it's usually not goo brand, but, Mm -hmm. um, power gel or whatever. Cliff, right. And, but I'll, I'll try to find the, the caffeinated ones. I'm always asking Mm -hmm. where are the caffeinated ones that usually can find them. Not always, but I'll have one of those on the course as well. But, um, my stomach does well with, uh, goos. I don't have issues. And I, uh, one thing I will say about the taking the goos though is, Absolutely, just drink water. Do mm-hmm. not drink yes. Gatorade. Gatorade. Double hit of sugar. It's too water. much. And yeah. if you talk about stomach distress, yes. if it doesn't happen early in the race, it'll happen later. But you know, I can't underscore the importance uh, in in a marathon to drink early. A lot of people think, "Gosh, I'm bloated. And I'm feeling full. I was eating my salty foods." You need to drink and you need to take in those calories from the get go. So we're talking about from the very first water stop. Take a Gatorade and, and and take those extra calories, even those 20 extra calories that you're getting from the third of a cup of Gatorade um, mm-hmm. is, is helping you stave off that wall that may pound you later after 20 or 22. So 
and, and your digestive digestive system is working better absolutely earlier in the race yes. because as soon as you get later in the race your blood flow is going to your your vital organs and you're just and not, not absorbing your stomach stuff. and you're not able you can yeah. hear the sloshing yeah. and then you know absolutely. you're not absorbing it so that's what i always think is get it in or that's why i started taking the gels my shoes a little bit earlier i thought get it in now while i yes and can. if your stomach is sloshing and you feel like you can't take in any more gatorade because like dan mentioned you only take gatorade when you're not taking your gels or your nutrition, because you can't take both at the same time. You only take water with your nutrition. But let's say your stomach starts sloshing as a cue that you you are hydrated enough, but you need something. There is nothing wrong with swishing some Gatorade in your mouth and spitting yep. it out. You're still going to get something from that. Totally agree. Um, Ken, what is your um, nutrition strategy during the race? During the races, power gels. I mean, I've, I've used them forever when they pretty much went discontinued last year. I think a lot of runners kind of had a panic. I prefer power gels over the goos. I think the goos are a little thicker. For me, they don't go down as well. They don't they don't break up as much in my stomach. So power gels are a little bigger, but a little bit more watered down. So that's mm-hmm. why I've always liked them. Um, again, when they went out last year, kind of had that little panic, started trying some other things. But my friend Kelly, she uh, she found them. And I, I just looked at the website, it's Chain Reaction Cycles, and they still have them. Um, so I have a stash now, and I'll, I'll probably be ordering more. But typically every about every five miles, it really depends on the, the water stops. So for you, we do everything by time. What's every five miles for you? So every five miles for me, uh, depending on the race, is going to be every 35 to 40 Okay, miles. so we're all doing nutrition every 30 35, 40 minutes. Yeah. And Lisa, you do something a little different. I do. I, about every, it starts out at about, so I take some, I've been taking some at the beginning of the race and then about 30, 35 minutes in, I take out my baggie and I start snacking on the chews. I like that because it can spread it out over some time. So if I know my baggie has 10 chews in it, I may take those 10 chews over 10 minutes or 15 minutes, or maybe it's 20 minutes. And then I, about 20, 30 minutes later, I'll bring out another bag and start you, kind of the same process. You have a brand that you like? Honey Stinger Chews. Like Those have always just worked for me. Yeah, they're great. Do they break up stomach. easier? Yeah, they're some brands, are, yeah. some brands are really sticky. I almost choked one year on it. Uh, they're a brand that will remain nameless. These are very soft. They don't yeah. get stuck in your, yeah, they don't get stuck in your yeah. teeth. Um, so, had a brand like that too. That yes. Really yeah. Good. Just it really just like, up. and especially yeah. if they're, well, last year I had a problem because they got cold and then it was, and I couldn't even get them out. And last year was a little, I was trying to rip off the plastic baggie with my teeth. So last year I probably should have thought of a different strategy, but, uh, but yeah, so I sort of snack through the whole race and spread it out a little bit. And I've just found that it keeps me sort of steady. I don't, mm-hmm get to a point where I'm like, Oh, I better take some things. I need to feel that hit. So that's I, I would say too, if you are doing gels and it's cold um, and you have them in a side pouch, take them out at least a mile before you, you plan to take them, yeah. hold them up. If, if you're wearing gloves, shove them up under your glove, hold them tight. Put them against your sports bra. If you're a woman, uh, so that it flows because you just want to get it in as quickly as possible yep. and get right into your system. It's also a faster way to get it into your system, yep. especially when you know, you know, Boston's great because the water stops are every other, every other mile, every mile, right? every mile, every mile. Yeah. So we know where the, the Gatorade is going to be. Um, you know, the water's first, Gatorade second, every single time. So, you know, these things are coming up. You have your gate, as Ken said, always have those in your hand, warm, tear them up, put them in, and pop get them ready in, for the and water, get ready. And, and go to the later water, people holding out the water. At the beginning, everyone's yes. taking it, and it's crowded. And if you run just yeah. a few people later, these poor people at the end are holding out the water. No one I'm, else I'm a left-handed runner. I, I yeah. tend to like my the water stops on the left-hand side of the road. Most people don't. I don't know whether yeah, no, it is. Right hand side, yeah. That reminds yeah. me. We tell our runners this. Um, carry a disp- – I mean, I we, we, we want everyone to use products that are um, – 
uh, sustainable, but for for, for this pur- for this purpose only, take a disposable water bottle and carry it with you for your first time. Just 10K. like a regular water bottle. And, and you know then, what? You can toss it at the water station. They get recycled, so they recycle. Then there. you avoid the, the bottleneck at the first few water stops, the first six, mm-hmm. basically, which is really nice. Um, okay, so let's talk about – so we just talked about our nutrition. We talked about not drinking too much water. Let's talk about race strategy. Um and how we should approach this race. Um, Ken, I'm going to start with you. I think you're really good at articulating what to do the first uh, half of the race. Go ahead. Okay. So with Boston, you know, the first the first six miles, um, especially the first mile, you come out of that start line, you're excited, mm-hmm. and it is, it is a significant drop in elevation. You're basically running downhill. Uh, you got to remember that if you've qualified, you may have qualified in races where it's been a little sparse where you're at or, or you know, you're not necessarily with the, the masses at Boston, no matter what pace you are, you're always going to be with the masses. So you're going to have plenty fast of masses too. fast masses, too. And that's exactly it is they're going to completely sweep you up and bring you into uh, in, up to their speed, whether or not uh, you like it. So depending on where you qualified and what corral they put you in, I'm a fan of kind of going to the back of your corral again taking some of the pressure off if you can, um, even dropping back a few corrals and, and starting out a little bit slower. Um, because if you're in, especially if, you, if you're if you fortunate enough to be in one of those first two corrals, that may be people that are running 220s, 230s. So you kind of want to uh, step back from that as much as you can. Then when the gun goes off, you know, that downhill, that first downhill, everyone's going to be pushed around you. It, it's pretty steep. Um, and then you're accidentally going to lock into a fast pace. So I'm a big fan of the Garmin, um, but I'm a big fan of the Garmin as a tool, not necessarily as the most accurate measure of your pace. Um, I switch my Garmin always to lap pace instead of instantaneous. Manual, so that you have to well, hit it at the mile markers. Well, so, so that's auto lap. So I definitely do that. But lap pace is where it basically oh, the, from the last time you hit the lap button, it starts sampling. Right. It tells you what your pace is based on So that's on your field distance. you're looking at on your that's watch. The field, yeah, yeah, your field, you can change in the settings to lap pace, not pace. Not pace. Not, not, definitely not average pace. Right. Average pace. Not pace, not average pace. You want lap pace. You want lap pace. And, that'll, and that's usually, that'll fluctuate usually for the first tenth or fifth of a mile. And then it kind of settles out. And then you can kind of look at that and go, okay, am I, am I pretty close? Um, typically like to be under about three seconds under my target pace by my lap pace because lap pace is almost always slow. Um, auto lap off, definitely. If you are targeting a specific time and this is in any race, turn off auto lap. Do not let the watch figure out where your miles are. And explain are. why that. Why that because is. the watch is always almost always going to add miles. There's some races where I'll actually subtract if it's really curvy. But most races, if you look at your track afterwards, it almost always bounces around just a little bit and that adds up over time. So, so that means if you're looking at your watch, you let's say you're targeting eight minute miles and you're looking at your watch and you're saying every mile I'm hitting is eight minute mile, eight minute mile, but you're going to end up running 26.35. So if you're targeting an eight, I would say you want your lap pace to probably be somewhere around like a 757, 755. Mm-hmm. But when you get to that mile marker, you hit that lap button. Right. So you shouldn't leave it on auto when it's going to show you a mile that you think is 757. But really, 
for you're yours. You're going to be running a little farther than your watch thinks you're going to be. Running. Exactly. Yeah. So when you when you get to that mile marker, that's when you manually hit the lap button, and that is your true pace for that mile. And that's something you should practice before too. So maybe set your it's, watch. It's hard. On. It's hard to practice that because we don't run anywhere where there's designated mile markers. Right, right? but just mm-hmm. practice that hitting the lap, so you're not hitting start, stop, or maybe it'll look great. Or just even on on your own, just saying, okay, now I hit this button, I hit this button. This is what yeah. I need to you hit. Wanna, you want to mentally map where the right. lap button is. My lap button is on the left hand side. So. Um, and what you'll see is, you know, and these are some things that you can kind of do to distract yourself while you're running. But as you come up to that mile marker, you'll start hearing all around you before the mile marker. Beep, 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 beep. And you'll hear, oh, this course is marked incorrectly. Yeah, right? yeah, I love exactly, that. Exactly. The, course, the mile markers are in the wrong place. No, your watch is beeping in the wrong place. Exactly. So you'll you'll hear that. And it's, you know, before the first mile marker, it's, you know, 30 feet or so. And you'll hear all these things. Well, 30 feet, that's maybe three or four seconds. So if you if your auto lap says, hey, you ran that in an eight minute mile, you probably are closer to an eight oh three. Well then by mile two, all those auto laps are going off even further back. So by I twenty, look, you can't even see the mile marker. You can't even see the mile marker by twenty right. when, when auto lap is going off. So you definitely want to have that off and you want to manually lap. Right. Um, Plus I think it gives you something to look forward to. I mean, I, I know does. for me, I, I I run I have a different strategy about and I didn't mean to talk over you, Ken, but um, I run my races mile by mile. I, I mm-hmm. try to do 26 one mile races. That's just my strategy. And I'll try to hit my target for that first mile. If I was over or under, I'll, I may do some reassessing if it's, if it's dangerously over, obviously I'll slow down, but I'll always try to readjust and, and, and have a strategy for segments of the race, but I will try to hit my mile. I run 26 one mile races. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I go about doing it. And to me, the best way to do that is to look forward to, it gives me something to do. It's like, yeah, I get to push the button <laughs> at the blue sign here. So, and I'll, I'll hit it and do a little quick assessment do a quick triage of how I'm feeling, how, how my faculties are mainly. I'll, and I'll get to my section here in a second. I'll let Ken get to it, but I'll, I'll do that, you know, closer to mile 15, but sorry, get back into your downhill. So, so yeah. So I would say, you know, kind of talking about strategy and, you know, really executing that strategy as Dan said, when you're, you're running this mile for mile. So I'm always thinking when I'm running the race, I'm not, like I said, I'm not racing. I'm, I'm, Considering, okay, if I'm looking at my watch and I know I'm going into a mile and I'm thinking about it, my watch says I'm a little slow. Well, I think, did I run a hill there? Yeah, I did run a hill. So that would make sense that that's a little slow. And maybe it's a little fast. And that's okay because I think, well, you know what? We've been going downhill for a while. Not crazy fast, but if I'm two or three seconds fast, I'm okay there. Um, Part of my strategy is having race markers um, for mile five, 10, 13, 15. And then as I get closer to the finish, they they become a little bit more off at 18, 20, 22, four, five, six. Um, but that's basically as a, a true point. So I think by mile five, you should actually be maybe 20 seconds slow for your race for, for what your target time is by mile 10, maybe 10 seconds slow at the half you should be on. And then hopefully if you're having a good race, it's going to get faster from there. Do you write your times on something? How do you, I write how do you keep arm. track of it? Because we know we arm. lose our mental capacities. As yeah, I write them. I, really uh, math I go, yeah, I go through, I do a pace calculator and I, I don't like the bands as much because they're usually really small and hard, hard to read. To read yeah. So I write them, you know, left arm is first half of the race, right arm second half black of the sharpie. race, yeah. black Sharpie, um, and, and use that. But yeah, if you look at the course at Boston, it's it's fairly downhill for the first six miles. So you want to be holding back as much as you can. You want to be thinking to yourself, I'm conserving my energy. I'm, I'm keeping everything I can. I'm letting gravity do the work for me now and just kind of coasting. And Again, it's very difficult because there's so many people running fast. It's, it's so easy to look around you and say, I can h- hang, up with, hang out with that guy or that girl. 
Um, but really, really pay attention to your, your pace and try to lock in as early as possible and conserve as much energy those first six miles. Speaking of conserving energy and the excitement at the beginning of the race, a lot of kids giving high fives. Mm-hmm. So the temptation is to run over and, and, and you should, I mean, that's part of the enjoyment of the race, but if you're crossing from one side to another side and going out of your way to high five, high five, there've been some years where I'm like, I just can't even do that. <laughs> like, hi kids. Thank you. But so yeah, the first six miles, wasted for, energy. first six miles, you have the, the biker bar. Um, so that's always fun. You know, you got all these people out there, you know, in their, in their biker gear and they're playing ACDC and things like that. Um, and then you run by an old car dealership and they typically mm-hmm. black out their windows and mm-hmm. trash bags. So it creates a reflective surface mm-hmm. so you get to watch yourself run. So, uh, you know, look out to the, at those things as well while you're running Boston, because that's really the history. Those are the things that you should be absorbing, not just, you know, trying to go for, yeah. for all, all speed. All the things that Dave McGilvery talked about last yeah. week that make the course so special. You really mm-hmm. get to enjoy them the first half when you're feeling great. So I think um, to, to Ken's point, um, to simultaneously maybe use use a couple of different mantras during the, the race and maybe the mantra for the first um, 10K is conserve, conserve, and to be very steady, being very Protect mindful. Yes. Yep. Um, Keep your head down. Downhill running. We yep. talked about making sure your form is light, that you're not pounding. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to just take care of all the things you can while everything's working well, including your brain. Yep. Um, so that when you hit, um, Wellesley and there is a surge of energy because of all the Wellesley girls and it's so, you'll feel great, but you won't be at a point where you'll feel it all depleted because you've conserved, conserved, conserved. conserved so, yeah. um, so it's a really good idea to protect your quads. Be very mindful of your form when you're running downhill. Be very mindful of the energy that you're exerting. Enjoy the race um, during those special parts as you're going through each town. And then you hit Wellesley and you're going to be feeling really good. Um, It's a real highlight. So, Dan, why don't you take us through um, miles 13 through um, Heartbreak Hill? Yeah, well, I mean, let, let's start a little bit. Let's start at 12 and a half when we hit Wellesley okay. because there's something there's that's legendary mm-hmm. that we, we talk about. Um, and that's the sound that you start to hear at about close to mile 12. You'll hear in the distance the shrill shriek of every co- college co-ed from Wellesley. Um, and you literally can hear it from a mile away. And it, when you go through it, there's nothing quite like it. In fact, the mi- mile 10 and 11... Um, you know, is very flat, the miles following the hills. Remember, you're starting downhill those first seven miles, and then you're in a pretty flat section and really a pretty boring section. You think you want to make sure that you're just, you know, I kind of shut my mind down during those those middle miles where I just say, take it easy. You know the hills are coming. Now's the time to hit your paces. Remember, mile by mile, hit your pace one by one, take it in. You enjoy, you go through a park that there's a lake that we, we see. It's really the most peaceful, docile part of the course. And then all of a sudden Wellesley happens and it's crazy and it's wild. And for people that have never experienced it, it literally your ears will ring after you've gone through that quarter, half mile stretch of the Wellesley girls, uh, quarter mile stretch, I'd say. And, um, and then it's quiet again. So it's fun, but it gives you something to look forward to. Don't get caught up in the energy. It is, sometimes it'll, it'll pull you and you, you'll pick up your pace. In fact, it always happens. Mm-hmm. Try to stay calm. I, 
at one point when I first started doing these would, would high five a little more of the Wellesley girls, but now I kind of stay to the left and watch the fireworks from the other side of the road. I partake. And Ken, Ken always <laughs> enjoys it. So, but the posters are wonderful. The, the energy is wonderful. The girls are great. They're out there rain or shine last year. It was, uh-huh. as we know, the worst conditions ever. And they were out in full force last year. It was great. But then you know that those are middle miles and you know, what's coming. And those are the hills, um, when we get to, um, uh, to, to, uh, to well, uh, so past Wellesley and we start to hit the hills in Newton. And those are our, those are where we start to roll the miles. And we're talking about I, the hills. I, I think you want to talk about the, the hill, the downhill right before Newton. Yeah. Right? It's big. It's yeah, big. Yeah. 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 Really big downhill. Right. And that's the first place you've, you'll know whether you've toasted your quads or not from those first seven miles. That's gives you a good feel for how, how badly you may have uh, torched your legs. So yeah, beware of, And I was going to say, you know, a lot of people are always worried about the the four hills of Boston, right? The the four Newton hills. But if you actually look at the the course profile, there's about 16 or 20 little hills that actually lead up uh, to that. So, and with most of those uphills, there's a downhill as well. So you're, you're going to be up and down that whole race on the elevation profile. It looks flat, but if you zoom in on that, you see uh, there's a lot of little hills and and, yeah. uh, in fact, I was going to bring that up. I, you know, one of the things I remember about my very first Boston, which was my slowest Boston too, but I had only ever heard of Heartbreak Hill. So I, that very first hill that I climbed, I thought, thought that, that was, was it. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, went down and I saw another hill and I was like, all right, this must be Heartbreak Hill. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. By the time we got to Heartbreak Hill, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. My eyes started to well up with tears as I rounded the corner and I <laughs> saw the size of that hill. And I was just bonking in the worst possible way. It was not a great day for me. And I just said, this is, this is horrible. Um, the great news is once you've climbed the hills, it's basically all downhill from the top. Okay, so, but let's go back for yeah. a second. There's a point in the course for me that I always find I struggle, and that is after the hype of Wellesley, there's like a climb. little, there's a, there's a, climb. a there's little a bit of climb, climb, but there's also, it's like kind of a dead zone mm-hmm. um, yes. between Wellesley and Newton. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you, you haven't quite finished enough of the race to be like, I'm almost there, but you're, you're deep in it. And you know you have Newton to come, and so for me, that's that's a point every year that I have to dig deep. And um, last year in particular, I struggled at that point tremendously, and um, it was partially I think my body was shutting down, but also that, I, and Your I body also was shutting down. my body was shutting down. Yeah, <laughs> Ken was there to witness my meltdown, and um, I think that's also. Am I correct that that's where the cemetery is? That's that's afternoon. Later, yeah. It's yeah. afternoon. Okay. So there's some, are there train tracks? There's something there. there what is there? there are train oh, tracks. there's train tracks. Train yeah. tracks. So that's the that's train tracks. That. We, we start to cross train tracks in mile, about mile six or seven is your first. Well, yeah. Right the train after station. 13, yes, there, are there are more train tracks. At least I'm just telling people, be prepared for just a little bit. You, you just might feel so, a little down during that point. That's yeah. normal. So let's go, let's go back. I, I think, okay. you know, from where you said past Wellesley, past that dead zone, mile 15, that downhill. Um, if you haven't run Boston, it is a very, very steep downhill. Yes. It goes from about 15 yeah. and a half to 16. And it is, you know, if, if you have blisters on your feet, you're going to feel them there. Your if feet, your quads have torn up from quads, the first part, that is where you feel, and you're begging for an uphill at that you're point. You're begging for an uphill. Your, your feet tend to slap quite a bit. Um, so just be prepared for that. It, it, it is going to beat you up a little bit on that downhill. And then as soon as you get to the bottom, that's really where you climb out. So you pass over the, the overpass for the, for the interstate. 
and then you start your first hill up into the Newton Hills. Um, and it is it is four hills. And Dan, do you have any strategies for getting over those? Or I just kind of take them one by one, and you know, knowing just knowing they're there is half the battle, I think, for me, especially after going through this once. So I kind of don't find them. Uh, especially for people that run in this area, there's nothing really comparable. They're not overwhelming hills. It's just if you've beaten up your quads at the beginning of this race, um, it's not really the uphills that bother you, but you're you're feeling it at that time. So uh, that's that's my take. My advice on the hills is to not look at your watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's really easy to get caught up in your paces at, until the hills ideally will be pretty steady. You've been going downhill mm-hmm. or very brief uphills, with a lot of just really forgiving surfaces for purposes of maintaining your pace. And then all of a sudden you'll look at your watch and you may be a minute slower don't look at your watch. You will be slower. It may cause your whole mile to be slower, but that doesn't mean you blew your race. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of taking that data and using it to sort of categorize their race moving forward. And that's not true. It's great advice. And the other thing I'll say as a strategy to get you through is this is the time to take advantage of the crowds. The crowds, especially if you've written your name, they may be calling your name. They're saying, good job. Let that energy suck you up the hill and it it will help. Um, So just take it in, take in the people cheering for you. They're out there all day long. Read the chalk messages on the roads as you're, as you're climbing. Find somebody nearby that you can encourage, I think, or you can have encourage, encourage each other. That has always helped me. And and me too. I try to latch onto somebody and say, we've got this, come on, we've got this. And we make our way up the hill together. I get a mantra in my, my head, what goes up must come down. What goes up must come down. And it will after you get, get through the hills. But that is, that that's the time where you really have to have to figure out what, what works for you. Is it taking them one at a time? Is yep. it finding somebody to latch onto? Is it, you know, just ignoring your watch? What is it that you've got to focus? Remind yourself of the hard training you did. You know that you've climbed these hills before. They're they're not that overwhelming. You can get them. And, and I agree with your take, Julie, that you should ignore your watch. It's not about that. It's just get up them one step at a time. Once you're at the top, you know, you got to count down, you know, and you, I think somebody said you can count them down on your fingers, right? Because there's like those four big hills and you know, they're coming and you know, once you're at the, at the last hill at 21, 20, you're at the end of 21 and you, you're right at Boston college, it's essentially downhill sale. And I don't mean to keep running, jumping up to that point, but that's uh, that's a good feeling to know that you're kind of downhill. Oh yeah. I think if you've executed the race properly and you've taken in enough nutrition, those last five miles will feel great. That's why Boston can be a PR course because it's it's a really great ending. Yes. So if you've done it right, you can fly the last five miles. Boston College is kind of the co-ed uh, Wellesley too. Yeah, of, and by that time of the morning or the day, they're they're pretty Wasted. drunk they're, they're, and they're, they're pretty drunk. They're so. enthusiastic. Yeah, and I'm I'm not one who's turned down beers. I mean, there's been times where if the we know it's bad weather or something like that, you know, hey, take a take a picture with the kids at Boston College and it's part know, of the experience. Them. It's part of the experience. It is. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. So let's talk about those last few miles then. If you've run it stronger, maybe if you haven't, and what is what's what's the strategy for the last last five miles? I've had great days at Boston and I've also had less than great days. Um, I'll tell you one quick story about my less than great day. I started in the last wave of, uh, or last corral of wave one a few years ago and really wasn't in great shape. Didn't really deserve to probably start there and probably should have started in wave two. And right around mile 20, right around this point is when 
the wave two <laughs> caught me and it was just the most uh, demoralizing thing. I wasn't having a great day to begin with and it was running slower. And it was almost like a, literally a wave of people were just pushing me down. And you can and tell were, because their bibs are a different color. Mm -hmm. And they were just flying past me. Okay. I mean, what had happened is I had been alone for most of the race, which was kind of, in a way it was a good thing, but uh, the people just <laughs> flooded past me and it was kind of demoralizing. By the same token, I've had great days where by the time you get the top of heartbreak and you're feeling good, you start to pass people and it's we've all had that feeling. When you start to pass people and you're feeling good, it's infectious. And the more people you've passed, the faster you go. And every now and then, it must be like Michael Jordan shooting his jump shots in the zone. You're in a running zone and there's nothing stopping you and you are just flying past people and it is the greatest feeling in the world. Totally. So make that, believe me, that's much more enjoyable than, than that to be passed and count the people you're passing. I mean, you know, you can pass hundreds of people, but you can also get passed by hundreds of people. So it's Absolutely. all about how you do That's it where going. you start to see the people who went out too fast mm -hmm. and you feel really badly for them yes. because they, you can tell they are hurting They're They can't walk straight. They're, you know, their I knees are buckling. Bad, that, um, I, 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 always, I was trying to, I actually try not to look because I start to feel like it's going to be contagious. It is. Same. I look, I'm like, oh, I feel so badly, but I can't watch I them because stare too. I, I, I can't, I can't watch them. But then, you know, the crowds start getting really thick the last couple of miles. And that's where that if you've run it smart and you can feel, I remember one year, um, you, I, I, you guys came up, it was, uh, it must've been, um, Chrissy, you and Chrissy mm -hmm. came up on me behind from behind me was a start in a later corral and it was a year I was feeling good. And just, I remember seeing you guys and that gave me that like uplifted that, that sense of like adrenaline repumping into your, so if you, if you run it well and those last ones, those crowds start getting three, four deep on the sidewalk. I think a, we had to talk about the sicko sign too. Oh yeah, was, of course. The know, sicko sign. Yeah. Oh. So sicko sign comes up at uh pretty much at 25 into view yeah 25 25.2 but it comes into view yeah around 23 and mm -hmm. a half you might see it yep. kind of pops up maybe earlier isn't it? yeah and then yeah. it disappears for a while yeah, it kind yeah. of plays hide and seek on you yeah. so um don't get discouraged by seeing it and being like oh man I, that's still you know two miles away no that means you're it's a little that means you're i would say it's a little like the lincoln memorial when you're on haynes point you can see it coming you can see it in the distance but it never comes so yeah. exactly it never comes so yeah concentrate on that a little bit if you're you know you need something to focus on um and mm -hmm. just you know worry about getting there and then you get, you get the last mile and know. then you get the second wave of drunks at fenway right mm -hmm. after the yeah. games after are usually game, letting yeah. it out and they're coming out so. yeah and then you get that towards the end you get that little underpass you know yeah. that you go down the, the underpass where, is where the zombie runners are because you'll see people yes. they'll be running yeah, around yeah, and they'll go under the underpass and they'll walk that's like they're yes. like they don't they're think they anybody can see them yeah. down well, that's there. also where i don't know if you noticed i think that's where last year the blue line starts yeah. They have a blue line that runs the last, I think, mile or two miles of the course. That's the tangent of the course. Hmm. And it was painted somewhere. I think it ended somewhere around there. It's about a mile, mile, well, maybe a little more than a mile from the from the finish. So that's where you can focus on that line. And know if you just follow that line, it's going to take oh, you yeah. take you to the finish line in the shortest possible distance. And while it seems like the race is over, you can actually pick up a lot of time the last couple of miles. Mm -hmm. So um, even if you're not having a great race, if your legs feel okay, don't be afraid to just gun it and push it on um, mm -hmm. the last couple of miles. You can make up some time and it doesn't, it gets better. And the last few miles of the race, there's no surprises. It's just a nice 
downhill or flat, a couple little mostly. tiny hills, but mostly downhill and flat and not too downhill where it hurts. And you can just kind of fly through. And um, I got to say the best thing ever is that feeling when you're running down Boylston. So you turn mm -hmm. left on Boylston Hereford, and it's like yeah. up Hereford, right on Hereford, left on Boylston. That left, I still remember that from my first Boston. It that gives me goosebumps the, yeah. every single yeah, time. I can I remember that turn and like just the emotion that all of a sudden here you are on this wide yeah. street and hundreds of thousands of people that You've are still got a there. third of a mile to go yeah. right it is yeah. a, it's the best I, I, yeah. see i like i like pumping my arms up kind of doing the reverse bird wings yeah. and just yeah. sharing other crowds and screaming let me yeah. hear oh, you boston so i mean if, if you're on the course for pr and those seconds count you know don't do that but if if you know you can just enjoy it. get close to the crowds get to one side or the other yeah. high five some people because again the spectators are out there to cheer you on and, and when they see a runner that's engaging with them they're just oh. gonna cheer so so Disney much it's, it's, the talking best. About it. it's the best that's I what makes love, it all worth it. i love every... waving to everyone on boylston it's the best julie usually wears like a crown so last year after her break tiara. she picked it back up at the end her tiara <laughs> and so we made the left on boylston and my legs were pretty shot up at that point and I was just happy keeping the pace and Julie all of a sudden decided she was going to be the, the queen of Boylston screen. She was <laughs> waving to her loyal subjects. And, um, but oh. yeah, you took off. I, I struggled to keep up with you at that point. You know, oh, there's nothing quite like that finish. So it's, you know, enjoy that whole stretch, every yeah. step of it, no matter whether you're having a bad day or a good day. And, and if you're having a bad day, you're yeah, there. last you year, I remember a woman was struggling. I actually had a good day in the bad weather last year. I felt I felt good the whole way. I what? Because I, I wore my Tyvek wow. for over half the race. Yeah, that was but cute. there was a lady that was zombieing toward the end, and I'm like, "You've been running with me for the last few miles. Let's get this thing done together." So nice. we, you know, we ended up running most of the way down. I think the last ten or fifteen yards, I ended up scooting ahead of her. But um, it's nice to when you see people that you've been running with, maybe to pull them in and and go with you, and it's a it's a great thing. But one thing I'll say about also about the Boston course. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't find it. I remember the first year I ran, I'm like, this was Boston. I didn't find it the most beautiful course. It wasn't like spectacularly gorgeous, but I was aware and I felt, and I still do the history and the, yeah. you know, you just feel this, you know, it chills when you think that the same people have been running the same exact course for 125 years, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that, not the that, same people. But yeah. Not the same people, the same, yeah, the same, the same people. Same ben, ben Beach. And as you're going on Boston too, just, you know, look at the, the two bombing sites that are there too. And I was going to say that now, there. ever since yeah. that year, every year when I run down that street, it also gets me a little bit choked mm -hmm. up knowing, knowing what happened in 2013. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit, a little and bit bittersweet. Come back, yeah. Exactly. Have exactly. you guys ever seen the John Kelly statue on I've the run? I've never seen the John no, Kelly never statue. Seen it. No, no. Never seen it. You know, I still to this day, so this will be my 16th time running it. And people say, like, oh, well, when you run through Boston College, and I'm like, oh, where's Boston College? Where is that? Or, see, I, see, I'll stop. I'll stop and be like, yeah. Yeah, I just don't remember. Like, you know, I, yeah. I know the course, and mm -hmm. I, when I'm there, I recognize it. But I, I, I'm so focused on a lot of times on the road in front. Last year, I didn't, rec I didn't see anything except for you know, what was right in front of me. I didn't really look around so much, but I wanted to go back to something you were talking about, mm -hmm. that you, whether you have a good race or a bad race, mm -hmm. there's no bad year right. in mm -hmm. Boston. And I think we've all kind of agreed that, that even there's, there are remarkable years right. and there are memories we have of each year, but there's last year I came back and everyone said, Oh, it was horrible. You had such a horrible Boston and so terrible. And I said, well, the weather was horrible. It was not ideal. 
But Boston is Boston. It was epic. It was memorable. Mm-hmm. It was epic. It, it's never horrible. It's a, it's a weekend. I think I know I look forward to every year. And as soon as I get home, I get a little sad that it's another full year before mm-hmm. we get to go back. But there's never. So I really think going in with that mindset of you, you've made it to Boston. Mm-hmm. You're going to hopefully get to that finish line, whether or not it's in the time you wanted. There, there's never a bad a bad Boston. It's, it, it's really the only marathon that we do that you have so many friends at the same race, right? Like mm-hmm. for us with as large as our club is, there might we might know 30 people up at that at that village. So mm-hmm. it is a big party for us. It is a really good time. And that's that's yeah. why I keep going back. And every race is unique and, and whether you had a terrific day from a from a stopwatch standpoint or not you can revel in other people's happiness mm-hmm. and, and, and celebrate their, you know, cause every day you've had good days and other people haven't and they're celebrating you and, and every day is every, every race is a celebration. Mm-hmm. It really is. I mean, and that's why we all get together again. We have, you know, sometimes as many as 40, 50 people up there. And so um, fun. Don't, don't be the Debbie Downer at the, at the post-race party. Be like, right. My race was poor. Yeah. 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 Please don't. Yeah. Cause you know how many people you know would have been so <laughs> would have died to be at that. Exactly. Really but, would really give anything to be at, at that start line. And, but, but a, a, you know, a really bad race is sometimes a really good story. So, yeah. like, so if you're at the post race, you're like, I had the worst race ever. Turn it around. Tell you so, why. Yeah. You know, turn it into a tall That was tale. the epic race. That, that was an epic well, race. Those are the, usually the best stories, yeah, as you said. Exactly. So you know, and learning experiences. So, yeah. so, celebrate your friends and yeah, just enjoy it. I'm going to challenge everyone listening and everyone preparing for Boston. My challenge to our listeners and to everyone sitting here at the table is, to go into this race grateful, but also from a strategic standpoint, based on what we talked about today and what Dave McGilvery talked about last week, challenge yourself to do a negative split. Hmm. Challenge yourself to have a faster second half than first half. And th- that way, that's something theoretically- Even if you don't, that, that plan is that a very plan, that is a plan. Yes, that's the plan, even if you don't. We can control that. A little bit better than I want a PR. I want this time. But if you can control your strategy, you can control your strategy a little bit because it's up to us how we start that race. And this is the kind of race that if you can hold back a little bit, the first half, you'll gain so much the second half. That's One exactly of- what I was just going to yeah, say. Okay, Sorry, go I was just going to say just it, it ins- by striving for that negative split, you're ensuring that you're taking it easy in those first few miles. And and if you the, the secret in this race I shouldn't tell everybody if you take it easy and you're under control on those first seven miles, you'll have a good day. Yeah. Yeah. If you're pounding your quads and you're, and you're hammering because you're excited or, or, and a lot of people do, you're going to have, you're going to suffer, especially when you hit the hill. So take it easy, take your nutrition and regularly take those. I always say run gently, run those mm-hmm. first seven miles gently downhill shut it you're going to have flat land for a while embrace the flat land check your faculties at 15 are all systems go or you have feeling good if you're feeling great and you're having a good day pick it up yeah. tackle the hills because 15 to 21 is a 10k of some hills but they roll and the next thing you know you're downhill again for the rest of the race so you break this thing up into manageable nuggets you're going to have a fantastic day my my best i wouldn't say my best time of a race but the best feeling at the finish line I ever had was the hot year 2012 because I was with Lee Firestone and we decided we're going to go back a few corrals. We're going to start easy mm-hmm. and kind of just, it was such a great feeling that year. It was a really neat vibe. Everyone sort of threw their time, time goals out the windows and everyone was, had a good, mm-hmm. you know, joking with each other. Wasn't that tension at the start? And Lee and I started out and it was such a weird feeling to be running Boston and 
knowing that you were running considerably slower than what you would have planned to run. And it was like, Oh gosh, the clock's yeah. running, but we're not. And, um, the second half of that race, I felt great. I felt great. And I finished not too far off my normal finish time, you know, given the, the heat. And I just felt good at that finish because I think I had started out and it forced me that weather that year to start out much more slowly than I would have. So and as a trained endurance athlete, your body doesn't really start going after those fat stores till later in the race anyway. So, right. you know, you conserved a lot and didn't dehydrate out. Let me ask you guys a question. Is there any one part of the Boston Marathon course that you look forward to the most? This is a crazy little thing, but I look forward to seeing, I think it's at mile nine, could be seven. Santa Claus, do you see Santa? Yeah, I see Santa I've seen, seen that Santa. guy. I've Never seen that seen guy Santa. every single Never year on the same corner. Oh and I look right forward, the right I look forward to that. He's in a suit? He's in a suit. Even on the hot year? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Year. He's always he's there on the right-hand side. <laughs> he's like and, I see him, and he's right before the mile marker. Okay. I can't remember whether it's nine or seven, but he's we'll always there. Him. Look from now. And I look forward to seeing him. Is there any, anybody else have um, a spot? So I'm definitely going to say Wellesley, but also at one point in the race, many years, here's um, Neil Diamond's Sweet Carolina. Oh, yes. I know so, exactly where that is. Yes. So the thing I like to do is, you know, hopefully you get to one of the courses and you just – you break in the song as loud as you can, and you'll get a whole bunch of other runners, you know, sweet Carol, and everyone bah, around you will go, bah, 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 bah. and it's early enough in the race, and it really lights yes. the mood, and people laugh. So, yeah, I look forward to that in the race, and hopefully hitting it at kind of a, at a good point where you can get a lot of other runners yeah. to jump in. Yeah, Mine's cliche, but it's the right on Hereford. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, really, like, I just... I live for that moment yeah. when I see that right turn. I'm like, here it comes. Yeah. And you just know yes. that you're going to take that right. And then you're going to take that left. And it's just like this glorious yeah. feeling of like, I, I made, I the arrived. angel singing. It yeah. is. It's such a great feeling. Even on the years, even last year, it's really funny. My, my parents videotaped the live feed last year of the finish line. And when I got back, my dad said, I'm going to show you where you are. And he went and he found me. And I didn't recognize myself because I was, like a stiff zombie because it was, you know, it was so cold. My muscles were so cold. I said, that's not me. And he said, that is you. I said, Oh, that is me. And it looked, but even at that year when it felt so horrible to be, you know, at that point in the race, I remember turning the corner and being like, Oh, so that I, you know, again, cliche, but that is definitely my favorite part. Love it. My favorite part is just all the rituals that surround Boston. I love being with everyone um, the night before. I love being with everyone in Hopkinton. I love the feeling at the start line when everybody's together mm -hmm. and anxious and we all got through Hopkinton together and you make that walk. It's a long walk to the start line. And um, there's porta potties down right. there. Too. Yeah, porta potties, porta -potties last down there. Yeah. And I love the feeling at the finish line, because I've said this before, I believe it's with the exception of 2013 is the happiest place on earth <laughs> is the Boston marathon. finish line. It's when you walk through that finish, like that finish line, you know, that finish line and you know, you did it. It's done. It's right. in the books. Like you completed another one. It yeah. is such, it is. I think we're so lucky to mm -hmm. be able to have this experience. I think that one day there, there will be a day when we, we won't be able to run it. And I know I'm going to look back on my life with such fond memories of all the memories that we've created at this very special race. And I just feel so fortunate to be part of history and be able to, to run the streets as long as I can. So, so. Well, you guys have been great. Thank you for all your 
collective knowledge and wisdom and advice. This was just, it's like we just got together and reminisced. Right. right. It's it's fun. Fun. We can talk about Boston. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk Seriously. about Boston all night long. Thank you, Ken and Dan. And we thank look you. forward thank to making for more us. memories this year. Yeah. yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Well, that wraps up our two-part podcast episode on how to run the Boston Marathon with Ken and Dan. And we hope that everyone listening uh, got some great pieces of information that you'll be able to take with you to Boston or whatever spring marathon you're running. And we also hope that we were able to give this to you in a timely manner so that you can implement some of these tips well before race day and visualize your success on the course. Yeah, and we've got a few, just a few more weeks left and a few more podcast episodes before we actually get to the start line in Hopkinton. Woo! And we are excited of, for some of our upcoming guests. We are going to be talking about master's running. We're going to be talking about running post-baby, so two different phases of life. We are going to be talking to Matt Fitzgerald, a renowned endurance athlete and author, author of the book that we read earlier this year for our Read Farther and Faster book club, uh, Diet Cults, but among other many other books. And we have really enjoyed reading his books. And we're currently reading his newest book, Life is a Marathon. And I'm really enjoying the book. So really excited to have him on the podcast. So we only have a few episodes left and only a few more weeks until we get to Boston. But we're having a lot of fun and hope you're enjoying listening, listening along with us. And Get in touch with us. Give us your feedback. Give us your suggestions. Tell us your stories. Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Our website is www.runfartherandfaster.com. So thanks for listening, and we will see you all next week. Bye.